Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out wrightfarmhousechurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. We just got done with Christmas, right? Christmas is one of those it's one of those times where our family, we love to, to give each other gifts. Uh, and we try to give gifts that are useful and and that they're enjoyable and, and not just something that is just fun for a brief moment um, and, and is then kind of thrown away. Uh, our neighbor down the road here, she gives these really fun, cool toys to the kids every year. Um, and they're fun for a moment and then the batteries run out and then that's about it, right? But they're fun. She gives yeah. good, she gets really cool gifts. We got, the kids got laser tag one year and we still play with that one, but it's kind of breaking down, you know. You guys got some RC cars this year that shoot water and stuff. Is that right? <laughs> but it's supposed to. Like I said, gifts that don't last a long time. Um, so we, but we try to give gifts that are useful, right? Sometimes, sometimes there are people though who who don't understand gift giving very well. Um, they have great intentions. Uh, but they will they will give things to people people that they love. They give these gifts to, to to people that they love, and then they don't get the response. They don't get this response that they thought that they would um, once they get once they gave the gift. For instance, uh, I gave my wife this Christmas. I gave my wife a cast iron pan, and and I gave her that for Christmas, and because because. It is something that I know that she will enjoy using and that she'll be able to pass down to her children and, and hopefully that they'll be able to pass down to their children um, and so that they can, so that they'll be able to use it generations from now. And she truly did love the gift, I think, right? Yeah, yes, yeah truly did good. love the gift. I'm willing to show it off to whomever wants to see it. <laughs> there will be show and tell. But what if I gave that same gift, that same cast iron pan, uh, to another person who didn't enjoy cooking? Pat, for instance, raising her hand here, right? <laughs> didn't enjoy cooking. Now, it might be something that you could could genuinely need or, or use, right? But they certainly, they certainly would not enjoy it as a gift, as she shakes her head. Um, or really even understand why I, I would give it to you. Like, why, why would, yeah. So what about, what about the husband who buys a, his wife a gift card to the local gym for Christmas? Um, some might, some wives, some wives might, some wives actually might now think about it. Some wives might actually truly enjoy and cherish that gift because they like to work out, right? So that would be a thoughtful gift, maybe. Um, otherwise, they might take great offense for a variety of reasons, right? Um, so one one Christmas, I bought Colleen. I bought her a nice vacuum for Christmas, um, and she she loved it. She loved it, right? But. I know that there are certain, and I knew she needed a vacuum. Like she really did want this. This was this was something that she she liked. But uh, I know for certain women who would not take great joy in receiving a cleaning item, right for for Christmas. But my my wife Colleen here, she she did because I know her well enough. I know her well enough to to know 
not only what she might need, uh, but also what she might want and enjoy and find joy in, in using. But I haven't always gotten it right in our marriage. I told Colleen I was going to tell a story. I don't think you'd remember this. Maybe you will once I tell it. Um, but I haven't always gotten it right, especially when we were newly married. One time for Christmas, I was so excited to give her a pair of boots. And she loves new shoes and she loves new boots, right? She just loves them, right? Um, but I found out that I don't have a good eye for footwear. I don't know how to give footwear to women. So she, uh, she was very gracious in accepting it. She was very thankful or acted very thankful. And then I noticed she never wore them. And, and we got a return receipt pretty quickly from the store that I bought them from. So regardless of the gifts that we give, though, our intentions, our intentions are the same, right? Uh, our family here, we, we make gifts or we give gifts to each other as a way of celebrating the greatest gift uh, that has ever been given, the, the gift of, that God gave us in his son, Jesus. The apostle, uh, the apostle Paul, we just, we just read it. The apostle Paul calls Jesus the indescribable gift. And in the next couple of lessons, we'll, we'll look at two different people and how they responded to the gift that God gave them. Sometimes people don't respond to our gifts the way that we, we thought that they would when we gave it to them. How will, how will the people in these next lessons uh, respond to the gift of Jesus? So today we'll look at Zechariah, the priest in the book of Luke. Uh, the next time, the next lesson, we'll probably look at Mary because both of them responded to the gift that God gave them, but in completely different ways. We can learn something from both of them and, and how they reacted to, to, to the reception of the gift. And the Gospel of Luke, it was, the Gospel of Luke was addressed to a man named Theophilus, who was almost certainly a Roman official or, or definitely somebody of high standing. And Luke tells Theophilus that he is writing this story in an orderly account, he says, so that Theophilus can know with certainty the things that he has been taught. And more importantly, we can read this book and know with certainty the things that we have been taught about, about our great hope. And what Luke is doing in this first chapter is that he is laying out the events that led up to the birth of Jesus, and even before Jesus here, the birth of John the Baptist. In chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So Zechariah here was an ordinary country priest, and there were uh, approximately around 8,000 of these priests living in Palestine at this time. The priests were divided up into divisions, and we are told that Zechariah's division was, was on duty and that he was the priest currently serving as the priest before God. The priests were divided up into divisions that would do, do the work inside in the temple. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're told, had a strong faith in God. Uh, it says that they observed the commandments and the regulate their regulations blamelessly. 
They wanted to follow God and they tried to obey his commandments. We're also told that they didn't have children, right? In infertility, uh, it, it, it's always, always to this day, it's always an aching disappointment uh, in, in any time or in any culture. But it was especially disappointing in this Hebrew culture because the inability to have children was interpreted as a sign of God's punishment. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, they both lived trying to follow God, knowing that God had not given them a child. They still lived following God. And we can surmise from the text that this is something that they had wanted for a a long time, for some time, uh, because it says that Zechariah had been praying for a child. This is a good reminder as well for all of us that being a Christian does not equate with protection against enduring hardship um, in this world and in our, in our lives. A good reminder. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were devout followers of God, but their infertility would have been very hard on them to bear because of what the outsiders may have thought about them because of, of what they would have perceived about them as a punishment from God. So the story goes on in, in Luke chapter 1, and we learn that Zechariah, he was called to be a priest, called to be the priest of the day, to go into the temple and to offer incense in the most holy place. It was called the most holy place inside the temple, right? This was probably, this was probably a once-in-a-lifetime experience for this priest, um, for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for really any priest. And we can be certain, I would think, that he was incredibly excited about this opportunity. Maybe nervous, but I would think he was excited because he had been chosen by lot to to do this. Uh, But we can also be sure that he was pretty shocked when he was inside the temple and an angel appears to him. He's inside and and this angel appears. And we find out later that that angel is named Gabriel. And what Gabriel tells him is that his prayer has been answered. He and his wife, Elizabeth, are going to have a son, and they should name him John, who will become John the Baptist. And after Gabriel gives him some more details to follow, let's draw our attention to Zechariah's response. Remember, he's in the temple, okay? He's in the temple. Not only that, he's inside the most, the Holy of Holies, and Gabriel the angel has just appeared to him and and, and to tell him that all of his prayers have been answered. How will Zechariah the priest who followed God obediently and longed for a child, how will he respond? In verse 18 of Luke chapter 1, it says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah didn't believe the words that Gabriel had told him. Uh, So let's note something here. There are only two angels in the Bible that get named, not counting if we don't count a couple of named fallen angels, which are debatable. They are Gabriel and Michael. These are the two names that are named in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. So we can be sure, I would think, that Gabriel 
is not a junior varsity angel, right? Gabriel is, he is on the A squad. Gabriel is a green beret angel, okay? Uh, and I've heard it said from, sometimes I'll hear, I've heard people say, if an angel appeared to me to deliver a message from, from God, I would, I would surely believe in God. Uh, I would definitely do whatever that angel told me to do. But when I, when I, whenever I hear things like this, I often think about Zechariah, right? God sent the A-team angel, Gabriel, to give Zechariah a message in the holiest place in the temple, but Zechariah, the priest, doesn't believe him. <laughs> so Zechariah comes out of the temple, and just like Gabriel said, he is not able to speak, right? Uh, but the promise of the angel was fulfilled, and Elizabeth, in her old age, she conceives a child. She's finally pregnant. And we'll talk more about this story and how it plays out in Luke chapter 1 in our next lesson. But for now, let's pause and see what we can learn from Zechariah's lack of faith. What can we learn from his unbelief? The first thing we can learn is that being devoutly religious does not guarantee a strong faith. Zechariah is a priest. He's standing in the Holy of Holies in the temple of God, and yet he doesn't believe God's promise. Uh, maybe, maybe you go to a pretty church building. Maybe you grew up in a, a religious family, and those things in themselves are not sinful or wrong. Growing up in a family who wants to serve God obediently uh, wants to serve him devoutly, it can be a very helpful thing in our spiritual lives, but it doesn't guarantee that we'll believe. Uh, there are a lot of people who are around religion who don't respond to God in faith. Uh, our first lesson here, I believe, is, is to understand that as Christians, we have freedom in Christ, but we don't put our confidence in the shackles of religion. The second lesson that we can learn is that Zechariah's past obedience did not guarantee his future faith. Remember, he and Elizabeth were faithful to God. They were blameless in their service. They really sought to follow God with their whole heart. But in this moment, when when Zechariah is promised something by God that seems too big and, and too special, maybe too spectacular, he doesn't believe in God's promise. Just because you and I obeyed God in the past does not automatically mean that we will in the future, uh, especially when the true and the hard challenges come. Um, Just because we trusted God in the past uh, does not mean that we'll do that in the future. Every day has its, its own set of challenges. Life is full of phases, right? And some of those phases will challenge our faith more than others. As I was driving along this morning, putting out the house church signs, I was thinking about this point, and I was thinking sometimes not only does past faith uh, not guarantee our future faith, but I think a lot of times our past mistakes make our faith better. So it's almost the inverse of the point of Zechariah. Sometimes our previous mistakes do the opposite of just what this is saying. Sometimes it makes our faith even better, greater. The third lesson that we can learn is that knowledge Knowledge does not guarantee or equate to faith. Uh, I feel confident in stating that Zechariah almost certainly knew his Bible better than you you or me do. Um, I can guarantee that Zechariah probably had a very impressive knowledge of the scriptures in that time. If we challenge, if he was here today and we challenge Zechariah to a test and knowledge over the Hebrew Bible, I think he would crush us. 
I think it would just be like an embarrassing mistake that we asked him to to do that, to play a, some some quiz game that day, right? Zechariah knew the information inside and out. Uh, because he was it was part of the of his requirements of being a priest. It was the result of growing up in the faith. And our hope is that those stories of the faith and that knowing our Bible and saturating our minds and our hearts in these truths, our hope is that they will produce in us a faith that that trusts God in our everyday lives. But there's no guarantee of that. We can't put our trust and our faith in our knowledge. We can't put our faith and our trust in how we were raised. We can't put our trust in in that we know all of the I know all the bo- books of the Bible in order, you know, or that we know we know all about David because Matthew taught he look took 24 weeks to teach us about 1st and 2nd Samuel, right? We don't put our trust in our knowledge. We put our trust in the living God to be good and to do what is best. The fourth lesson that I think we can learn from Zechariah is that even prayer doesn't guarantee faith. This story told us that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been had been praying for a child. It doesn't tell us how long they had been praying, but since they were technically past the age of being able to conceive without divine intervention, it must have been a long time. Um, a long time for, for praying a, a, of this, a, for this thing. Imagine them praying over and over, God, we pray that you give us a child. God, we pray that you give us a child. God, we pray that you give us a child. God, we pray that just like Abraham and Sarah had a child in their old age, that you would provide for us a child in our old age. They pray this for years, decades. And then God shows up and then Gabriel says, yep. I'll answer that prayer in the affirmative. And Zechariah says, no way. I don't believe it. Right? That's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened here. Let me ask you this. Do you ever do you ever feel like sometimes you pray for things, but you don't really expect God to come through? Uh, you pray maybe because you're going through the motions or to comfort, maybe to comfort yourself, but not really with an actual expectant faith that God, the God who raises the dead, the God that gives people children in their old age, that that God will actually answer your prayer. Um, I have personally experienced the shock of God answering my prayers with powerful results when I didn't necessarily expect that much of of a yes from him. And the interesting thing, I think, is that our faith can be challenged more sometimes when God says yes than when he says no. Sometimes we are granted our prayers and we realize that we can't handle the request that we were granted on our own. We can't do it on our own. He gives it to us and we say, I can't do that on my own. So then we go back to God and, and say, God, I need you to help me handle the blessings. I need you to help me handle the blessings or the challenges that you have given to me. Maybe that's why God says yes sometimes. So that we can go back to him after he says yes and say, I need you now more than ever because you gave me what I asked for. Um, I'm convinced now more than ever that we humans have no idea of what we're doing sometimes when we pray for things. For, for instance, when you, when you pray about starting a house church for over a decade and then God says yes, you realize very quickly the responsibility you must assume. 
<laughs> I know this for 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 uh, personally and up close now, right? And trust me, leaning on God more than ever is what is required when he grants those prayers. The lesson from Zechariah is that putting our trust in our prayers does not guarantee faith. I think the story of Zechariah is a warning to religious people. It warns us to not it warns us to not trust in ourselves, to not trust in religion, to not trust in knowledge. Instead of putting our trust in religion, we can learn here that we put our trust in God who answers prayers. We put our trust in God who does the miraculous. Uh, in, the le- in the next lesson, we'll look at Mary and how she responded. And it's probably a story that you know very well. Uh, and you know that her response was the opposite of Zechariah's. Um, but before we move too quickly to the right response, let's examine our heart this week through this story, through these lessons, and, and see where our trust is. Let's examine where, where is our trust this week. Let's examine our heart to see if our trust is in God or is it in religion. And, and to be clear, uh, our religion can include the worship of a version of the Bible or a person who speaks eloquently or nicely in front of us. Well, that's why I dress down, <laughs> so you don't trust in me. Or a fancy, people, a fancy building that people go to every now and then. Do we put our trust in God? who gives us freedom, or do we put our trust in the shackles of religion? Is our trust in our knowledge and our past faith, or is our trust in the promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ our Lord? Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.